everybody. Welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Jay, and uh, this is another episode of our Twitterology series where we try to talk about and discuss and explore um, tricky, interesting, fascinating, perplexing ideas we see online. And uh, usually I'm talking to my good friends, and they're all here. Hello, everybody. Hey, Jay. Yo. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> We had to all delayed. go one by one. Yeah. We did it pretty like, well. Edit that. <laughs> that, that delayed response was, uh, from my co-host, good friend Isaac Serrano. It's, it's good okay. to see you, man. I'm doing well. Um, also here with us, Liz Diddy, who is a speaker, author, spiritual director. How are you, Liz? I'm doing good. Thanks for being here. And uh, last but not least, my good friend Chris Nye. Everybody. Hi. How are you, man? Great. You're doing really great because you have a new book out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. As we're recording it this yeah. week. That's right. Released. Uh, Chris Nye's new book called Less of More is out now. The subtitle, really beautiful, Pursuing Spiritual Abundance in a World of Never Enough. It's actually really, I'm like halfway through the book, really profound, um, provocative in a lot of ways. And I think your book and what you're trying to accomplish through this book sort of sets up our conversation, which I'll get to in a moment. So to do that, I actually want to read an excerpt from your book, Chris, which might get you in I'm trouble yeah. with some people. This is, uh, this is some of the spicy stuff in your book from um, pages 59 and 60 <laughs> here. The exact oh, you, guys need to, you guys need to go get this book. Uh, Chris, you're talking about, um, uh, just to sort of summarize it as best as I can, you're talking about the, the American church's seeming infatuation with quote-unquote growth. And uh, this, this, uh, a part of, this is a part of what you say. If we can get more for less, why would we not get more? This is the culture in which our churches exist. And this is the water we are swimming in. And perhaps this is why we never question our pastors when they say we must grow the church. Seems right to us. Why wouldn't it be better if it were bigger. And then skipping down a little bit, you write, when churches do not grow, we question leadership. When we do not expand, buy property, or move to a third gathering, we wonder what's wrong. Um, and then you say, the truth is, it's not hard to grow a church's attendance. It's not difficult to raise money. What is hard, though, is pastoring a church, shepherding it. But we've exchanged shepherding churches for growing them, and I'm afraid we're reaping what we've sowed. And cue the anger from 85% Are we all cool? Are we cool? Leaders throughout America. Isaac's not looking at me. <laughs> you ain't growing. What's wrong with you? Oh, That's my man. motto when I go into a buffet, too. <laughs> I ain't growing, man. Something's wrong. Okay, this segues into our conversation today. Um, because what you're saying... Now, of course, I just read several lines from an almost 200-page book. So th this is much more nuanced than the lines I wrote. You're a part of a church here that is seeking to reach more people yeah. uh, in, a, in a healthy way, not just to grow the church, but to help them grow, to shepherd them, yeah. right? So the two are not mutually exclusive. They should be, um, they should go hand in hand. I think you're making a different sort of point, which leads us to a more specific conversation I want to have today about an article that... Actually, Chris, you sent the four of us um, an article by a pastor and an author, uh, Andrew Wilson, who we all respect. And uh, he recently wrote an article uh, called Follow the Money. 
in which he is um, quoting, actually, a Christian historian named Carl Truman, who um, recently gave a talk. Uh, he was actually giving the talk to seminaries. And, and essentially what he was, what he was saying, the, the point he was trying to make is um, the influence of the marketplace, the influence essentially of uh, our, the, the heavy influence of sort of the business model of uh, the American economy in particular, but the global economy now, the way we think about growth and how that's influenced in the, in the talk, at least, um, Christian seminaries. But Andrew Wilson in the article is asking the question, how has this negatively influenced the way we think about church and church growth? Um, in particular, Andrew Wilson notes that he was recently at a conference and he heard a prominent church leader emphatically say, hey, listen, when I think about my church, I'll say it. Um, I'm about market share. I want to dominate my market, right? And that sort of language, I think, uh, can be dangerous for sure, but I want to have a conversation now about, okay, what does this mean then for the way we think about quote-unquote marketing, mm. right? And all the churches that, I mean, for me, where I live, every Easter, every Christmas, I get a flyer or a few flyers, you know, in my mailbox from churches in my area saying, hey, our Easter service and our Christmas services, and um, what do we think about that? You know, is this, how do we, we're all involved in local church leadership. We love the local church. How do we navigate this very interesting, sort of difficult to, to figure out balance between reaching as many people as we can in the areas that we find ourselves, the um, communities and situations in which we find ourselves, and at the same time not overemphasizing it to the point where we lose um, our sense of our true calling or our true north, which is, like you say, Chris, to shepherd people, to guide them along the long, the long steady journey of discipleship. Um, so that's like a big sort of bomb I'll lay out here to explode on the table. And let's discuss. Any, any thoughts? How do we navigate this? It's very tricky. A megachurch pastor, Rick Warren, said this. Like he said, bigger is not better. Better mm. is better. And... I think that's some wisdom from that world that is so easy to demonize um, that could help lay a foundation for some of the wisdom we need right now, right? Like, which is, look, a bigger marketing budget is not a better way to reach people, or a bigger production is not a better way to reach people. There are better ways for particular churches to reach particular kinds of people in particular contexts, right? There are certain, I even know moving from Portland, Oregon to the Bay Area, there's different ways that people receive invitations to Jesus or receive invitations to his church. And some of the marketing is actually turns people away. Some of the, some of the, you know, bringing people in or trying to be seeker sensitive is actually what repels certain people. Yeah. And so I think even paying attention to context of going better is better as opposed to a bigger budget or a bigger, you know, um, program or campaign that would bring people in. I'm about that market share, man. So <laughs> that leader you so, quoted so, was Isaac. Was what I was <laughs> so what I, ha what I was teaching was that, you know, you need to be sending out Easter invites into people's mailbox, but also, you know how you have your team and you call them something, they're the ones who pass them out in the mailboxes. You have another team on the, you know, the low that goes in the mailboxes and takes out the other church's invitations. That is a federal offense, just for the record. And then you put in 
other ones with their logo, but with your address and your service <laughs> times. Also a federal offense. <laughs> Two federal uh, offenses. Hey, you, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a doggy dog world. You got churches got to do what they got to do in the Bay Area to survive. <laughs> well, well you know, that, that brings up a point. Sorry, Liz, to, not to cut you off. And th- this might inform the continued conversation. One of the points that Truman makes that Wilson talks about in his article is that when we get into this sort of market share mentality, what we end up accentuating are um, the small, the, the smaller, what he says are intra-confessional uh, details, so which, which leads us to uh, a removal of the singular confessional um, unifying realities mm-hmm. of all churches that are on mission and following Jesus. We, we start making distinctives. Uh, when we get into this competitive market share mentality, it's like our church is trying to passionately follow Jesus. That church near us is trying to passionately follow Jesus. If we want to make ourselves distinct, we have to somehow compete. And so we emphasize not the confession of both of our churches as we follow Jesus, but the distinctives that are not the majors, but the minors. And, and in, even in that, there's an issue. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that if we are going to treat the church like a marketplace and market share, then we can't complain when people who come to our church have a consumer mentality mm-hmm. because we're training them to do that. Yep. And that's where all of the church hopping and church shopping and people who just can't find a church that's the right fit for them, mm-hmm. um, I think, comes in because we're not telling them that this is what the church is like. The church is a diverse group of people who have different ways of showing their faith and of worshiping God and we're all in this together um you know it's it's the I think that there is something beautiful about each of us embodying our relationship and our knowledge of God in our own stories in our own persons in our own personalities but um if we start building up cults around the way that we embody Jesus or the way that we perceive Jesus either as pastors or writers then um we're really not teaching people to follow God and be part of a larger kingdom. We're really building our own kingdom, or as people call them now, tribes. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something uh, about that mentality that is going to actually cripple the church in some some small or big way. It makes me think about um, new member classes, which all of us have been a part of or even led, where you kind of are, you know, new members or either, hey, are you interested in the church? Come to this meeting. And, and the things that we mentioned there, hmm. you know, makes me, I, it, that article caused me to reflect on how do I lead those gatherings. I usually do naturally try to make my church sound a little bit unique and yeah. special, yeah. Sure. where I should lean into the fact that we are a part of a rich history. Our theology in some ways should be boring in the sense of like, it's orthodox, it's standard. You know, this is, this is, we teach what the Bible teaches as opposed to like any kind of new Gnosticism that people would be enticed by, you know, or anything like that. And so I I think about the ways we even communicate to people right away, because I think Liz is right. If we're communicating that in the front door, when they get into the church, and they start to be dissatisfied because we aren't the special, unique snowflake mm-hmm. we pitched ourselves to be, they'll leave or they'll complain. Yeah, because yeah, you could just be like, welcome to South Valley Community Church. We're not going to say we're the best church in the area because we're humble, really humble. <laughs> we, we exalt yeah. Jesus here, and, and we're reaching people more than anyone else. Right, you know, right, right, uh, right, right. You know there's, there's some habits that we've picked up, and this it kind of gets really practical. To, Wait, to is what that you were true? Saying. Is that really what you say? It probably is, huh? Well, 
Yeah, and, I, and, I, and then I say, it's and then I go, I know some of true. you thought it's not, it's not not. True. It depends on what you mean by true. No, okay. So here's what we really here's what we really do. And it, this is like jumping in one sense to 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 some really what you were saying really practical things, but um, at our first time luncheon or you know everyone, it's different for everyone. Um, people will always ask like, what? How is your church different? And my response, not only then and everywhere else, is always, we're not different. We do what Sundays look like, like the same Sunday service across church at 95% of all churches. Mm. We sing songs, we do a sermon, some of us take communion every day, every week, some of us do a month. Sometimes the announcements are a little bit more boring. Uh, You know, some churches have better announcements. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we're doing stuff that's very, very similar. And then two, at the end of the visitor luncheon, um, I get up and I say, we want you to find the place that God is calling you to. And uh, everyone is go- everyone has different environments in which they will flourish in. South Valley may not be the, the, the environment that you will flourish in. So if you're here and you don't feel awkward or bad, if this isn't working for you, come talk to me. And there are a list of healthy, amazing churches in our community that we would love to, to tell you about and connect you with the pastors there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just creating that from the beginning, almost as you said, setting the tone culturally so that we're not trying to, you know, Win, win you over like you know here's mm-hmm. you know here's 50 bucks as a first time v- visitor type type of thing to get you here and that sounds like a joke but that that, <laughs> that I mean, that's legit <laughs> stuff yeah, right. um, mm-hmm. and by the way if you are a church that gives away 50 dollar gifts uh, go ahead and email me because I'll show up. Uh, I'll collect them all across the Bay Area. It's like Costco samples, but for church visitors, man, just go around. So, but setting the tone, like you said, Liz, is, is, is super important early. Well, and do you think um, in Letters to a Diminished Church, Dorothy Sayers talks about how we are not doing Christ any favors by um, creating him into an image that does not offend people. Um, and that actually the, um, the, the confrontational, countercultural, um, make you uncomfortable uh, presence of Christ that we see in the Gospels is not something we're always great at representing in our churches. Mm-hmm. And I think if we, uh, how do you, or I should say, my theory, and you guys can jump in, is if we are, if we are um, too interested in getting people in the door um, or are too interested in keeping people in the doors, I think that there's a big temptation to um, become a church that instead of preaching, um, we end up sort of coaching and encouraging and inspiring um, instead of actually confronting Mm -hmm. and challenging and pushing to transformation. Mm -hmm. Now, that might not be true. There might be mega churches that do that well. Um, There's probably small churches that don't do it well. I don't think it's a size thing. That's true. But I think if you're oriented around growth, that can be something that would be tempting to also leave behind. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. You know, the the sort of market mentality is not just it's not you actually mentioned this in your book, Chris. It's not just about growth. It's actually about fast growth. Mm. Right? Yeah. Uh, there, there is not only a desire to get bigger. There is an impatience with the small, and um, that I, I don't have to explain that. I think we all, people who are business owners, people who, you know, we understand that, right? It, and it comes down to survival. You can have a long-term plan, but if you don't have the funding, it's a little different in the Silicon Valley in VC culture, where a lot of VCs are like, "Yeah, totally, I get it." You know, Amazon is a great 
uh, example of this, Bezos, Jeff Bezos has said, I guess for the first, I don't know how many years, nearly a decade, they were not profitable, but they knew that it was about winning the market and someday mm-hmm. they would be so profitable and, and it's come true. Mm. But that's very rare that you have the sort of investments and commitment from people and the belief in your mission that if you're not profitable right away. So we wanna, we wanna grow fast and big. And the mm-hmm. problem is it's very hard to achieve, especially the fast part, if you're not, like you said, Liz, hyper-practical for like right now. How does this help my life right now? Um, if you don't do that, if you don't take that approach, then you are inevitably gonna grow slow because the immediate sense that most people have with anything in their life is here are my current contemporary problems. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna help me fix these problems? Let me get through that and then I will deal with the deeper underlying issues, which is actually the reversal of what Jesus um, seems to say, <laughs> which is, listen, all the present issues you have are rooted in the deeper underlying things that require long, slow, and steady work. That's the dilemma of leading in the church now. Yeah. How do we convince people to think about what you just said when we have, let's get really practical, for a new person coming to, into our church, when we have, you know, the, the studies show us Within the first five minutes, I think they make a decision yeah. Oh, yeah. whether they're going to come back a second time. How do well, we deal with that? People as a, leave and they're like, "Well, I didn't get anything out of that today." Exactly. You know, and so yep. that's how people think about Sundays is yep. isolated. Things. So let's talk practically because you made a great point. We've gotten ourselves into this pickle now, where that is how people approach churches because that is what so many of our churches have presented. We're going to help you practically and all those sorts of things. Um, how do we do this? How do we do this without if if we're listening and because one of the ways to do this is this sort of neo-liturgical movement we're seeing. I have friends who've done this where um, young leaders are leaving the evangelical circles and they're saying, I'm just I'm going to go become an Anglican priest mm-hmm. and start this Anglican. Tr- and it's just it's so against the grain of this mode um, <clears throat> with if we're not wanting to do that, how do we do this? Yeah, because in those kind of old-school institutional forms of Christianity, they're so institutionalized that there's no competition. There's zero competition. You don't have to be cool or relevant. You just go up and, here's the Eucharist today. What's up type of thing. And so a lot of people, especially my generation, who kind of got burnt out by the kind of cool, let's be as relevant as possible Christianity has a a real draw there. Um, And some of the stuff you mentioned, I mean... It's it's very difficult. I mean, oftentimes we don't picture it, but the picture the the small church pastor who has four or five kids and his church size is eighty people and he's barely making budget yep. to get the one family to keep the one family. That one family may yes. be the, the the givers that make up twenty percent of his entire budget and he has these external pressures of I can't lose my job. Right. I can't even believe I got this job. I didn't even go to seminary. I just got here because I was the youth pastor. And when the senior guy left, I, I came. And so there's all these external pressures where I think for leaders, um, one of the practical things is you were trying to get at is you really have to get away with some good people that you trust that yeah. can say, dude, I, I think you're sort of compromising to either maintain church size or 
get church growth or to even maintain a job. Sometimes it's the opposite and the church has tons of cash reserves and you don't, you just, all you need to do is keep pleasing the people that can't vote you out. Um, And so we have to be real about the non-biblical external pressures. Well, that's why it's called follow the money, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the, um, Eugene Peterson um, wrote an essay about um, l- called Lilies That Fester about the ambition for growth that starts out as a good thing and mm-hmm. ends up as a bad. And it's funny because one of the um, one of the people I was talking to had talked about how it's crazy to him, Eugene Peterson, who calls himself, wrote a book called The Contemplative Pastor, mm-hmm. like someone who stayed in the sort of mainstream church, but with a more contemplative side instead of going to um, Anglican or Orthodox. And they said, you know, he's a brilliant writer mm-hmm. and he pastored the smallest church. It never, it was never huge. It never exploded. It's mm-hmm. so weird and and there's this correlation that we have of if someone is well published and you know a really great teacher that their church is going to be huge mm-hmm. um, but Eugene Peterson was in notoriously committed to pastor the flock that he had been given and he quotes um, Irwin Erwin Sharpoff, um, that in our country has always had the tendency to blow up every balloon until it bursts. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that when um, the Bible talks about discipleship, it's all agrarian analogies, yeah. right? We're not just building churches. We are planting mm-hmm. churches. We are planting mm-hmm. fields. We are tending fields. Mm-hmm. And that there are um, boundaries and fences that God has put around those callings and those churches and those ministries that were given and made in his wisdom as to what the size is. And that's why small's not bad, big's not bad, small's not good, big's mm-hmm. not good. Yeah. There's a prayerful consideration of what boundary God has given to your ministry. And um, instead of pushing up against that or trying to blow the balloon until it bursts, to f- be faithful to tend that ground that you've been given. And you may have been given a rockier field than the person next to you and you may have been given a slower growing crop and all of that stuff and it's really hard as we do that to do that faithfully and prayerfully in submission and humility especially when we see someone else's corn shooting up mm-hmm. right. six feet tall yeah. um, but the and 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 even harder still when you know your crop doesn't come through and you still have to pay the bills for the seed right that's the reality is yeah. that we can idealize being faithful and not selling out. Um, But at the same time, there's sustainability issues that come in with finances and all of that that make it really hard. But we've exchanged those agricultural metaphors for technological metaphors and market share metaphors. Mm -hmm. So that to me is when I think about the practical, when I think about how leaders can get better, I think about diving more deeply into Jesus's metaphors about ministry, not kind of retreating from them or reimagining them in a 21st century kind of lens, but really diving deeply into those because I think the other piece in there is the season metaphor, right? That goes, churches are in different seasons. Churches don't always have the harvest. (laughs) They're not always going to be in this time of like reaping. There's times of planting. There's times of watering. There's times where you are waiting out 
for that sun to come back. You know, you're waiting out for the for the weather to turn into change. And and I, I think sometimes discerning that as leaders is one of the most humbling things you can do mm. is just go, one, when the time is ripe and the harvest is ripe, you go, man, praise God. And to know that this is not how it will always be. I mean, it would, you know, it's just not gonna how it be how it always be how it always is. But to understand that that might be the long haul for us is like understanding the seasons, the times, and what our role is during that season. Um, well, prayerfully. and you don't have to farm for very long, I would imagine, mm-hmm. to know that it's like it's not like the best farmer has the best crops, it's right? Good. Like there's, I think, a good amount of humility that comes in with giving up control of that, that it's not because, um, you know, I'm not a good farmer, that my crop isn't coming in or that I have to wait out the winter, yeah. that it's a part of the process. And I think in our age of viral videos, you know, know where we we pretend like we're in some sort of meritocracy that the if something's really good on reddit it'll go to the top you know it'll be clicked it'll be liked it'll go viral um you know you look at the viral content it's not necessarily the most incredible contributions to humankind <laughs> look at that's music. out there there's so much yeah. great music that will never ever be listened to right. by more than and 10, terrible music people. that Ter- is yeah. listened to by millions right yeah totally Hundred percent. You know, I mean, you mentioned that Chris in your book about how, you know, the agricultural language Jesus uses to talk about what it looks like to become more like Him together uh, includes, obviously, when it comes to agriculture, um, external realities, external forces that are actually outside of our control. Yeah. All we do is um, a- allow for those external forces to come and mm-hmm. to do what only they can do. We don't control them. We don't control when it rains. We yeah. don't control when the sun shines down upon us, right? Yeah. We, And I think that's really important because nothing about, like you were saying earlier, the Silicon Valley ethos um, declares that things are outside of our control. Everything about Silicon Valley about tech, about business, is that it is absolutely within our control. You should actually desire and pursue more control. Somehow figure out a way to manipulate the system, to dominate the market, um, to own proprietary rights on specific, right? Like that's the whole ethos and that certainly has impacted the way we think about our own ecclesiology well and for me in my ministry i don't i don't know if you guys have ever felt this way before but um you know i've even fallen into the trap of feeling sort of disappointed or unloved by god or somehow you know given that biblical idea of if you've been faithful with little you'll be given Mm -hmm. much or Mm -hmm. you know like which of us have been given the greater gifts or the greater amount of gifts and sort of um, you know, feeling that marketplace mentality of, you know, if I were gifted enough, if I were smart enough, if I had been faithful enough, then I would get promoted. Mm-hmm. I would get a bigger field. I would get a bigger ministry. I would get um, bigger opportunities and more invitations. Yeah. And so even just that idea, there's, I think, sort of a weird prosperity gospel element that can sneak into even our own ideas of yeah. callings and our own ideas. And so the idea that any of us can be like God's calling um, on us can can be a beautiful thing, even if it's a small thing. Mm-hmm. And that, um, 
you know, Brother Lawrence says to do small things with great love and just the idea that there is no small calling, that um, every act of faithfulness is big. And just because you're not growing doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. And it doesn't mean that God hasn't gifted you mm-hmm. and equipped you and placed you and that he's not incredibly proud of your faithfulness right now. Retribution yeah. theology is the default operating system of the human being. So we can condemn prosperity gospel and say we don't believe in that, which which we don't. But you got to understand the, the the kind of fundamental OS of a human being is retribution theology. Mm-hmm. It says if I do good, good will happen. Yeah, if I right. do bad, you can just talk to your people at a church, and all you have to do is touch that button of if their life is going bad for them, it's not going well. Yep. You just touch a button that says you you think that maybe either God isn't good or that somehow you're not deserving of his goodness yeah. or he's withholding that goodness and you'll see the emotions come right and up to it's, clarify what you're saying is that has the same dna as exact same and DNA. gospel yeah which we who critique. made this man blind yeah. yep and jesus like yeah, you, you don't even right. un- understand and so yeah. um i mean the whole book of job is his friends giving him retribution theology mm-hmm. and then god showing up at the end and being like man don't don't listen to these guys but even as us as, as, as leaders success i mean by world standards successful leaders who know better on an emotional level, yeah. you just have to be consciously aware. I'm always going to lean into, I'm going to gravitate. The, the gravitational right. pull is to retribution yeah. theology. And, you know, pastors just have to, to remember the, the wisdom of, of people who have been successful. Sometimes pastors and leaders will tell you something similar to what you just said, Liz, was they're going, yeah, about five years into the church, we started to grow like crazy. And you go, well, what did you? Do? What was the secret? What did you do different? Some of them will give you, well, this is the changes we made and did it. But a lot of them, I can tell you behind closed doors, because they'd say, I have no idea. We're yeah. doing the exact same right. thing. <laughs> the first one was like, totally. we did the exact same thing yep. five years, and then all of a sudden stuff took off, and I don't know how yep. it happened. Yeah. Um, and so it's other factors. Yeah. Um, so your goal is to be faithful. Tim Keller has a good balance, as he always does, is he goes, okay, but just don't go playing the faithful card all the time because your church is horrible. Like your church is unhealthy, it's not growing, yeah. there's dysfunction, but you know, you preach God's word at this church right. type of thing. So there's always that helpful balance that yeah. has to come in there. But likewise, you have to be use wisdom and discernment to know whether or not this is because you're being faithful or this is because you have an unhealthy church. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, this is like such a fascinating conversation. We can go on and on, but I'll sort of close with this as an encouragement to those who are listening, who are in some way, some form or fashion leading in the local church. And maybe this is hitting on a nerve for you, whether you lead a large church and you're convicted or you lead um, a smaller church, I'm talking about numeric size uh, and you're convicted um, or something in between, you know, or really quick, if you're looking for a new church, <laughs> and you're, you're in the Bay Area. www. Go ahead and email us your uh, mailing address. You'll get a postcard invite, uh, an anointed handkerchief, <laughs> a five dollar bill, a vial of uh, holy water, twenty dollar for a coupon <laughs> book. Yeah, you know, just looking around this table, I think gives me um, a glimpse into what has helped me, uh, at least slowly, incrementally. I think grow toward more health in this area in terms of dealing with my own both competitive spirit and my own wrestling with retribution theologies. Like, why are we growing? Is it, you know? And what I mean by that is um, the four of us around this table represent four local churches, four different local churches, all within proximity of one another here in the um, Silicon Valley of California. And having relationship with all of you has helped not completely erased, there's still much work to be done in my heart, but has helped uh, 
um, loosen my really broken grip mm -hmm. on this desire for market share. Uh, because I know you, I love you, you love me, there's a commitment to one another, so I find myself cheering you on, rooting you on more so. You know, Isaac, you and I um, text back and forth around, like, Easter and stuff. Man, praying for, hope this is, you know, we texted about mm -hmm. Easter, and then we're sharing, actually, even some of the some of the language that sounds like market share. We're actually, uh, just like being very honest here, we're sharing numbers yeah. sometimes, but it feels very different when we share those numbers. It's, um, I can genuinely say, it's a cheering you on sort of sense. Yeah. Here's the reality, being very transparent. I, the church Isaac leads is exponentially larger than the church I help lead. And yet when I think about Isaac and his church, this is like a work of God in me because of relationship. Mm. I can I can honestly say I genuinely feel zero mm. competition. Um, Chris Nye's church, a church I'm very familiar with, a church I was part of on staff um, before Chris got there, reaches actually our church is sort of known to reach young people. Chris Nye's church reaches their demographic is like is like the sexy demographic that every Bay Area church wants. It's incredible group of young people, like hundreds of millennials that people are like, we can't reach. Chris Nye's church is reaching them in droves and growing. I feel mm -hmm. zero sense of competition. Mm -hmm. Nothing but cheering you on. The church where Liz serves on the teaching team is like arguably not just the largest in numeric size, but maybe the most influential church mm -hmm. in the Silicon Valley. Multiple campuses, thousands of people. Again, a church I'm very familiar with, was a part of for a while. Zero sense of competition. Although my church, numerically, is literally the size of like your smallest campus. You know what I mean? <laughs> but zero competition. Mm -hmm. It only happens in relationship. Mm. It only happens when we get to the place where we can be honest with one another and develop a sense of real love for local church leaders listening to this, in whatever context you find yourselves, it is so easy to live in isolation and to lead alone. And I would just encourage you, don't. Um, if you're a large church leader, find the, the church leaders who are leading churches that are exponentially smaller than you and realize you have so much to learn from them. And if you're a small church leader numerically, find the large church leaders and assume the best about them, that they're not out to steal your people mm -hmm. or crush mm -hmm. your community, um, that you've got something to learn from mm -hmm. them as well. And I think that's what changes everything uh, in a community and in a context. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, we want to say thank you to our partner in ministry, Western Seminary. Thank you, Western, for helping us do this. Uh, if you're looking for um, Christian education, master's degree, the best seminary on the face <laughs> of the earth, says Western Destroyer. grad Isaac Serrano. I graduated market from share. there. Market market share. I am the Hashtag best seminary share. graduate. <laughs> if you... <laughs> I, I interrupted you twice as you're trying to close, no, dude. I'm great. sorry. It's just like, <laughs> it's so perfect. It's, it's like, perfect. President Randy's listening to that. And he's like, you oh, want, Isaac, don't do that. But then he's give like, give me a call. I got to do that. Kinda, I don't know. Kinda keep doing kinda, that. Maybe. <laughs> we love you, Randy. Anyways, Western Seminary, check them out. And uh, always go to our website, regenerationproject.org, and uh, lots of free resources there for you that we, we think and hope and pray is um, helpful to you as you navigate this uh, strange and um, interesting and all-important cultural moment in which we find ourselves. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.